like to welcome everybody here tonight. Um, appreciate y'all coming out in this weird weather where we have like in the 30s and the 40s and then we in the 70s and stuff. So hopefully I looked at the weather forecast and it's supposed to stay cool for at least another week or so. So hopefully we can kind of level out. And I know a lot of people are going, dang, it's going to be cool. I like cold weather, so this is good for me. So, um, but you know what? God made it all. And he, we are to enjoy every bit of it. He gave us clothes we can wrap up. He gave us, we can take off as well as wrap up. So, and thank the Lord, a lot of us have air conditioning and we have heaters. So tonight we're going to pick up, I'm going to start and pick up with Romans chapter 3. And I apologize, last week I overloaded y'all. In fact, I told Pastor Josiah I overloaded myself. And there was just so much information, so we talked about I'm scaling back because I wanted to do the next three chapters, and there's just no way. We would be here probably until midnight um, going through it. So, And I'm going to change things up a little bit tonight uh, as we study. We're going to do a little Q&A. And if you've already read Romans 2 and 3, Paul is actually asking questions and then answering himself as he answers. So we're going to pretend that we're doing Q&A. And where it has question, I want someone out there to read the question, and then I'll read the answer, and we'll expound on it from there, okay? So I'll let you know when we're ready. And let's go ahead and invite the Holy Spirit to have his way in here today. We know that he's here already. We don't have to invite him to come in. We just want to give him free reign. So, Father God, Lord, I just thank you for tonight. I thank you for each family member and each person that has showed up here tonight, Father, and I ask a special blessing upon them, Father. Lord, that you would prepare our hearts and minds, Lord. Father, you have such a bounty in your word for us tonight, Father. Lord, Lord, so much so that if we were to spend a lifetime studying, we would never get everything, Father. The Holy Spirit, I just ask you to teach us tonight, to have your way. It's not my teaching. It's not Crossroads teaching. It's your teaching, Father. It's your word. And, Father God, I pray that you would just expound on that in us and that you would reveal to us something that we've never seen before or we've never thought about before. Father, because we know your word is life-changing, your word is powerful, and your word never goes out void. It always accomplishes that for which you send it, Father. And I pray, Father, you would use us as vessels. And, Father, we just give you the glory and honor for all that you're going to do. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So just a quick recap on last week's, um, the first two chapters of Romans, we talked about God's righteousness, um, and he was talking to the Jewish people at the time. He wrote the letter to the Roman church, and the Roman church consisted of both Jews and Gentiles at this point. But he's kind of leading toward the Jewish side of this when he's talking about a lot of this, because they were kind of getting a little bit snuffy-nosed toward the Gentiles, and they were getting a little bit off track and thinking they were something special and that they had special dispensation and they had all these special free tickets that they, the Gentiles didn't have, and so they were kind of looking down on the Gentiles. So Paul's kind of bringing them back in and saying, you know, you've got to think what you're talking about here. Um, he tells them to be careful how they judge because what was going on, they were judging the Gentiles and saying, look, you're committing adultery. You shouldn't commit adultery. 
And they were turning around, and guess what they were doing? They were committing adultery. So Paul was saying, look, do you think you're going to escape? You're going to be under the same wrath. You're going to experience the same things if you're doing what you're preaching against. And so he says, be careful what you're judging someone for and make sure you're not doing the same thing. Can you read my right? No, I'm sorry. He also talks about guilt and how everybody's guilty. And we're going to kind of expound on that some more tonight. But that the Jews were just as guilty as the Gentiles when it come to the righteousness of God. And he also was addressing circumcision because at the time, the Jews were saying, well, you, basically you can't be saved if you're not circumcised. So you as a Gentile who was not circumcised could not be saved. You could not experience the blessings of God because you weren't physically circumcised. And so he addressed, it, he addressed that, that circumcision in itself is just an outward appearance, that true circumcision is circumcision of the heart and the spirit. And that to, if you were born a Jew, does not give you free reign. It doesn't give you special powers or special authority or anything over someone who was not circumcised, who was not born a Jew. So tonight we're going to pick up with the judgment of God and the judgment of God being defended. And like I said, this is straight out of the King James, the New King James Version, word for word. So as we read it, it is a Q&A session, and we'll expand on it. So if somebody wants to pick up um, with question one. And Paul answered much in every way. Well, wait a minute. He just said, you being a Jew is nothing special. You have no special rights or you have no special get-out-of-jail-free cards. But then he said, well, there's much that's good about being a Jew, mainly because you were given the ordinance of God. You were, are the oracles of God. You were given the rules. You had the books. You had the teaching. Everything that God did, you were taught directly. The Gentiles did not have that ability. They did not have that background. They did not grow up studying the Torah and the law and knowing all this. The Jews did. And so they had the special ability to kind of have it directly from the horse's mouth, if you will, that they had the specialness of being God's chosen people. Next question. And Paul says, certainly not, indeed. Let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. God's faithfulness is not dependent upon our beliefs. It's not dependent upon our faithfulness. And I can't tell you how much that excites me. Because if it was dependent upon my faithfulness and my specific beliefs, y'all be in trouble. And that's what he's telling the Jews again. God is faithful outside of who you are. He is faithful irregardless of your fa if you're faithful. So 
they were questioning, well, the Jews don't believe. So how can God be faithful to them if they don't believe? God is faithful irregardless of anybody's beliefs or anybody's lack of faithfulness. He said that you may be justified in your words. You speak truth. You speak the true words. And what happens when you do that? Then you won't be judged. If someone does judge you for what you're doing, you'll overcome. You already have it. All right, any more questions? Paul's answer was an emphatic, certainly not. If our unrighteousness allowed God to demonstrate his righteousness, then the answer to the question is, then how is he unjust for bringing wrath upon me? Because I'm helping him out. By me being sinful, by me showing my unfaithfulness, I'm allowing him to show more grace. So why would he be mad at me? Why would I suffer his wrath? He said, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? God's not going to judge the world by how the world acts. God is not going to judge the world by how many laws they followed. God is not going to judge the world. And when I say the world, this applies to us individually. He's not going to judge me by how many prayers I said or how many scriptures I read. He's not going to judge me that. What is he going to judge me by? He's going to judge me by his truth. For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? And why not say then, let us do evil that good may come? And you have to understand he's addressing here because there were people that were saying, Paul and them were teaching that. Just like there was a comment made, Pastor Josiah has been teaching about the unity and how God loves us as much as he does now as he ever will. We can't not do anything of ourselves to make us love us anymore. And we can't do anything of ourselves to make him love us less. And when we were forgiven, our sins past, present, and future were forgiven. Well, if you take that just on a base level, then you could say, well, fine, I'm forgiven. Then I can live like I want. There was actually, and I'm sorry, I cannot remember the term for that. There was actually a group of people who were living by that. Oh, I believe in God. I'm, I'm forgiven. So, you know, I can go out and I can do adultery. I can steal. I can cheat. You can do whatever I want. Because you know what? God's forgiven me. Because all my sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. This was going on in Paul's day just as much as, have you ever heard that? Have you ever heard people say, well, God's going to forgive me? So I'll do, I'm going to do it because God's going to forgive me? Wow. That's what Paul's been teaching against this whole time. That mentality of, well, I'm saved. I've got a special ticket. And because I have that special ticket, I get out of jail free. It doesn't work that way. He's addressing that with the Jews. The Jews were acting that way. And so the answer is absolutely not. And Paul says the people who are living that way are going to be condemned, and their condemnation is just.
Next question. Not at all. For we have previously charged that both the Jews and the Greeks, that they are all under sin. I think the Jews had it in their mind they weren't under sin any longer. That they, because they were the chosen people. And so he's saying, well, well, what now? You know, are we better than they being the unbeliever? And he says, no. We're all under the same rules. We're all going to be justified in the same way. We're all heirs to all of God's blessings in the same way as the original Jews were. And I'm sure that was hard for the Jews to swallow. And Paul's making a point here as we go on. All have sinned. Verse 10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. He didn't say there are some, there are a few. How many is righteous? None. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery in their way and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, he's talking about the Jews were acting just like the unbelievers. There was none who's righteous. And if you've ever, and I don't, you don't have to show your hand, if you've ever tried to lead someone to the Lord, what's the very first thing they have to understand? They're sinners, and, and this is what Paul is teaching. If you can't get them to understand that they're sinners in need of a Savior, the rest of it's done. That's your basis. That's your basis. If you don't know you're sick and need to go to a doctor, are you going to go to a doctor? Hey, man, just check me out just in case because I'm not really sure if I'm sick or not. But just, you know, I want to pay that for thousands of dollars just so you can run some tests and just to make sure I'm not sick. No. And Paul has said, you know what? We all start out on the same level. We are all sinners. You know what, Miss Elaine? You were a sinner. You needed a Savior. I was a sinner. I needed a Savior. Pastor Betty, you were a sinner too. And you needed a Savior just as much as I did. <laughs> we're all sinners. Because <laughs> there's none so all of mankind are under the guilt of sin. Where there is no fear of God, there is no good to be looked for. Do you know anybody who does not fear God? And how do they live their life? Like, they don't fear, like there's no fear of God. Do you know where there's no fear of God, there can be no goodness? Remember, Scripture says we serve a master. And there's one of two masters that you're going to serve. You're either going to serve God as his child. And if you don't serve him, your only other option is you're serving the devil. 
So if you are not serving God and you have no fear of God, there's no goodness. You have no option for goodness. You might can do good things, but that's not going to make you good. That's why (laughs) when we all have to give an account, when we face our judgment day, when he asked us, why are you good enough? What's the only answer we have? Because of Jesus. Well, guess if I didn't know Jesus, what is my answer going to be? I prayed every hour a day. I, you know, I read this much scripture. I gave this much money. I helped 50,000 old women. You know, I mowed lawns for 50,000 old men. I did a... It's not good enough. It's... What? The handicap the same way. <laughs> I'm sorry you don't get a dispensation for being handicapped. There's no there's no line, there's no handicapped lines in heaven, okay? You don't get to get on that ride ahead of everybody else. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. There's no special dispensation for helping the handicapped. It all comes down to your relationship with Jesus Christ. Anything outside of that, exactly, your union. Anything outside of that, you're serving the wrong master. That's why there are not going to be any good people in heaven. Goodness is not going to get you there. Because what did Paul just say? Without the fear of the Lord, there's going to be no goodness. Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, and that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Who was under the law? Originally, the Jews were under the law originally. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law, it is the knowledge of sin. You have to equate this with, again, their mentality was, I'm Jewish. I was raised in a Jewish home. My mama was Jewish. My grandma was Jewish. And so, therefore, I'm okay. I got that special ticket. I follow the law. Remember we talked about last week? Let's go down to just the Ten Commandments. You cannot keep just Ten Commandments. And this word says if you failed in one part of the Ten Commandments, you failed in all of them. So if you're living under the law, the law is judging you. The law itself cannot save anybody, cannot justify anybody. The only thing the law can do is point out what's a sin. I'm going to use this example, and I'm a foodie, so let's say right now, anybody like chocolate cake, vanilla cake, anybody like cake? Okay. What if all of a sudden there was a law that says eating cake was a sin? What would you have to do? Before the law occurred, though, did you know eating cake was a sin? No. Because there was no law to point it out to say that was a sin. But once there's a law that says eating cake is a sin, now you're answerable for it. That law pointed out that sin, and now you have to answer for it. So we can leave ice cream out. (laughs) Let's hope nobody lobbies for that. (laughs) The corruption in our nature will forever stop any justification by our own works. 
we cannot, just like the law cannot justify us, our good works cannot justify us. And Paul is addressing this here again. I'm Jewish. I went to school in the morning. I learned the Torah. I did all these things. I worked. I helped, I helped the handicapped. I did all these things. That's great. But your works are not going to justify you. So now Paul's getting into how do we get justified? What is righteousness? But now, we've already talked about the law, how we could not be justified, how sin, everybody is sin. What good does it do to me to be a Jew? Well, I have the law. I had the rules. I had a special head note or an advance notice of what was right and what was wrong. Last week, we talked about those that were not Jewish who were living their lives as if they were following the law were justified just as the Jew who had the law was justified. You know, the Gentile had no law. They were living their life as such, and they were following God's edicts and ordinances. Even though they technically didn't know they were doing it, they were just imparting that. And he said, you know what? Those people will judge you. If you're not following the law and you're not getting saved, the, the Gentiles who you're looking down on are going to judge you. And Paul says, but now... The righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God outside of the law, apart from the law, is being revealed. It has been witnessed by the law and the prophets. All those prophets, major prophets, minor prophets, all these people who came around and told the people what was going on and pointed out what was they were doing wrong in their life and that they needed to repent and turn. They were showing the righteousness of God. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. Well, wait a minute. I'm Jewish. What do you mean? To all. He's giving it to those Gentiles over there. Um, to all and on all who believe. So the Gentile converts who were believing in Jesus Christ, they were on the same platform as the Jewish believers who were believing in Jesus Christ. Verse 23. This is usually step one if you're using the Roman road to direct someone into their um, confession of faith to let them know, again, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Well, if everybody sinned, how does anybody get there? If we all fall short? Wait a minute. I fall short because I've sinned? Yes, that's what Paul's trying to get across here. Everybody falls short. There is no way that you can work yourself up high enough and thorough enough to meet God's righteousness. There's only one thing, and we've already said it, accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So when you stand before God and he's saying all these sins that you did in your past, all you can say is, but I'm a child of God. There's nothing else you can say. There's no other words you can use. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, through believing in what he said, what he did for us on the cross, whom God set forth as a propitiation. It's just a big word that says an action of appeasing a God, a spirit, or a person, an atonement, especially that of Jesus Christ. Layman's term, Jesus paid our price. A propitiation was someone who stood up and paid the price that I owed for me so that I now have benefit as if I would have paid it myself. Jesus Christ appeased God's wrath against sin for us. You know, and that's so important to understand because I grew up at a certain point in my life, I thought God was mad at me. I saw God as this big old man sitting on a throne with a big ruler or a big stick just waiting on me to step out of place, just waiting so he could whack you or, you know, send you over there or make you that happen to you. And that's so wrong. All of God's wrath on me, on us, was poured out on his son, Jesus Christ. If you remember in the crucifixion story, and I get emotional, I'm sorry, y'all. When Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because my sin was on Jesus Christ, and God couldn't even look at his own son because he was filthy, and he was nasty, and he was ugly for all the sins of the world that Jesus came and took care of. God can't even look on him. He had to turn away, and Jesus felt that betray- that emptiness. Yes. I mean, he had, he, talking about having union with the Father, Jesus was the, the icon for union with Christ. I mean, union with the Father. And to have that ripped away from him so that God's anger, and this is more than when you read in the Old Testament when God, remember Moses went up on the mountain? to get the Ten Commandments, or he didn't go to get the Ten Commandments. He went up to meet the God, and God gave him the Ten Commandments. But he was up there, and then Aaron and them, they were partying down here with jewelry and calves and stuff because they thought, oh, well, Aaron must be dead by now. I mean, not Aaron, but, um, yeah. Moses must be dead by now, so we need a God to lead us. And when the, he made the calf, he said, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. God was mad. And if you read on, God said, you know what? Those stiff-necked people, I'm going to destroy them all. And Moses had to plead for the people. And he said, look, you brought us out here. You destroy us. The people are going to say, yeah, he just brought you out of Egypt to destroy you. Imagine that anger God had then multiplied by millions and millions of people. And all that was put upon his son so that I can have free entrance into heaven. I can have free entrance to the presence of a holy God who is not mad at me. He doesn't remember my sins because Pastor Sai taught Sunday, he didn't cover our sins. He cleansed us 
from sins. He sees them no more. And I don't know about you, but that just, that just it blows my mind, but it also swells my heart. God's not mad at me. He's not mad at you. Don't, he's not mad at you. There's nothing that you've done or that you can do that make him mad at you. He loves us so much. He said, you know what? I'm not going to make you a slave. I'm not make you just a name. I'm going to make you my heir. Just like if you were my son or my daughter. That kind of puts us at the same level with Jesus as his son. We are joint heirs with who? Jesus Christ. That's the God that loves us. And that's what Paul is talking about here. By Christ's blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, I believe we talked about last week why it was good that God forbore or had forbearance against us or with us. He was patient because, as I told you, on the mountain, he just wanted to wipe them out. But thank God that he forbore with us that he passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate that at the present time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. All he's asking us people is to have faith, to trust in him. Next question. Is that all of it? No, not by law, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That's why you can't boast. You can't say, oh, I did it. I was good. I stopped sinning. I stopped doing these bad things that God really likes me. No. No, Abraham was not even justified by his works. Next question. Yes, he's the God of the Gentiles also. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Next question. Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law through our faith. The law is fulfilled by Jesus Christ. Our faith then established the law. Did not wipe it away. Is adultery still a sin? Was that a law? What about coveting your neighbor? Is that a sin? Still available today, right? Didn't do away with it. If he would have done away with it, then we could covet our neighbor, we could commit adultery, we could kill, we could do all that because if you want to say Jesus Christ did away with the law, he did not do away with it. He fulfilled it. And every moment of his life he lived, he fulfilled the law. We, believe it or not, 
can fulfill the law, but only through Jesus' righteousness, not our own. Can't do it on my own. Have you ever tried to diet in here? How many were very successful at dieting every time? You were doing that on your own, were you not? And some of us even had help. Some of us even went to meetings and met with groups and did all this other stuff, and it still didn't work because I can't do it on my own. So chapter 4, we talk about Abraham. Now, it's one thing that's important to understand. Abraham was their super prophet. He was the father of of us all. He was the one they always turned to in the Torah and all the stories and everything that Abraham did. They held on to that. They thought they were special because they were Abraham's descendants. So the next question. Paul referenced Abraham because the Jews would know who he was. It was Abraham's faith that was accounted to him as righteousness. Genesis 5, 6 says, And Abraham believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteousness, as righteous because of his faith. That's in Genesis. This is not in New Testament. That's Old Testament. So he was not found righteous according to the flesh even though he did fleshly things. We know Abraham was circumcised, right? That's an act of the flesh. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has, not, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace but as a debt. But to him who does not work, you know, I had to read this a couple of times, but to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted to him for righteousness. What? Wait a minute. Why am I out there busting my tail? The Jews were saying that. Why was I going to school? Why was I trying to learn the Torah? Why was I trying to follow all these laws? And you mean to tell me that, you know, Gentile Joe over here, my neighbor, because he believes he's okay too? He's going to be counted righteous? Yes. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. And those... And whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. That's Psalms 23, 1 and 2 that he was quoting. He who is blessed is the one whose sins are not held against him. He who is blessed is the one who has been saved by faith through Jesus Christ. Those are truly blessed. Everybody else who's not in that category is not blessed. Remember, there's no goodness. If any man could work the full measure required by the law, the reward would be a debt owed to him. 
So to say that someone could physically of themselves fulfill the law, then their grace would be just like you earning wages. You go to a job, they pay you for doing that job. That's not grace. That's a debt owed to you for works that you did. It's not how grace works. Grace is totally free. Our faith in itself does not justify us as part of our righteousness, but gives us a means of uniting us to Christ and his righteousness. Pardoned people are the only true blessed people. It is through our faith. It's not because I have faith that I am justified. It's not because I have faith that I am imputed righteousness. That just gets me in the door to accept Jesus Christ's righteousness. So you can't say, oh, well, I believe. Well, do you have that unity? Do you have that relationship? The demons believe. They don't have righteousness and unity. It's not enough to just believe. It's not head knowledge. It's not to say, well, I believe God can. Can you truly believe? We're going to get into that a little bit with Abraham here. So what's the next question? And Paul says, not while he was circumcised, but while uncircumcised. This is important to understand because a lot of people hold to their acts as their faith. It wasn't the fact that Abraham got circumcised that made him righteous. He was righteous before then. His circumcision was just an outward physical change representing his inward spiritual circumcision. It's almost like baptism. If you haven't already, you will probably get into a discussion with someone. Can you go to heaven and not be baptized? Or can, you know, if, you, if you're not baptized, can you still get to heaven? Baptism does not save anyone. Baptism is just an outward expression of your inward change. So the answer to that is, yes, you can still go to heaven if you're not baptized. Can you go to heaven if you're not circumcised? Because the Jews were saying, no, they can't get in. If they want, if they want to live my life, then they got to do everything. They got to follow the law. They got to study like I studied. They got to get circumcised like I had to be circumcised, on and on and on. We talk about, we put tradition on people. We get people saved, and then we give them this whole book of stuff that we expect them to do because we did it. Or because someone gave us that same book and said, okay, now you got to do this, do this, do this, do this, or it was for nothing. It's wrong. Pastor has been preaching on this the last several Sundays. There is nothing you can do to get there except for one act. And you have to be in union with Jesus Christ, not in the friend zone. You have to have that unity, that relationship, that one-on-one. It's not a head knowledge. It's not a, you know, I know who Jesus is. 
It's do I know who Jesus is in here? Is my heart and my spirit circumcised? And if anybody doesn't know, circumcision is just cutting away of flesh. It's symbolic of when you become a believer, the fleshly or worldly things in your life you've cut away. You've now become a new creature. So, But while he was uncircumcised, and he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of faith, which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe. Very important. I don't know if anybody in here was raised in the Jewish faith, but you know Abraham is your spiritual father too. When we were adopted into sons and daughters and heirs, Abraham now became our spiritual father. Remember the promise that was made to Abraham? Does anybody know what he was promised? He would be the father of what? Many nations. Wow, we are seeing that fulfilled. He is the father of all those who believe, Jews and Gentiles, even though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of the circumcised to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of faith, which our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Jewish. Abraham was justified before he was circumcised. So that doesn't mean don't let people put all these rules on you just because they did it or just because they had to do it. Or No. Abraham got circumcised while after he had faith. Okay? But it was an outward expression. That's like saying that all Christians need to have tattoos. If you don't have your tattoo, then you can't get into heaven. No. Don't let people put rules and regulations on you outside of your belief and your faith in Jesus Christ. The seal of the Holy Spirit in our sanctification, making us new creatures, is the inward evidence of the righteousness of faith. That's where our circumcision is shown. In our inward sanctification that made us new creatures in Christ. For the promise that he would be an heir to the world in Genesis 3.12 was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. Again, as a Jew, they couldn't say, well, he had the law that made him righteous. Paul's saying no. It was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and promise made of no effect. Wow. If the law could do it, faith would be void. And the promise would be no effect. We wouldn't need Abraham. We wouldn't need the understand the circumcision of the heart and mind. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. If the law says you can't eat chocolate cake, you better not eat chocolate cake. But until then, 
you enjoy your ice cream and cake. But once the law says, and they catch you eating chocolate cake, guess what you're going to suffer? The wrath. Therefore, it is of faith that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but to also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. Jews and Gentiles, as it is written, I have made you a father to many nations. Did you just see the promise was fulfilled? In the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. That passage right there is talking about the acceptance of the Gentiles into faith. God had given Abraham the promise way back in Genesis that he would be the father of many nations. Doesn't mean many Jewish nations. He meant of all who believe. The inclusion of Gentiles in all sinners who were not a people was a gracious calling of things which are not as though they were. This also proves the almighty power of God. Who else could have made that come to pass? Now, Abraham, we talked about how he had faith. Now, listen to this. Talking about Abraham, who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a 100 years old. And the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he also was able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. He didn't go to God and say, God, man, I'm 100 years old. That time's passed. And the wife I have, Sarah, she just as old as I am. She done passed that childbearing stage, so um, I don't see many nations coming forth here. He did not doubt. He did not disbelieve. He never even wavered in the fact that the promise was to be ahead of him. God honors faith, and great faith honors God. Faith is clearly the instrument by which we receive the righteousness of God, the redemption by Christ. Our faith itself does not justify us. It gives us a part in Christ. Now, Paul's wrapping up this chapter here to say, Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us, also for me, also for all of you out there. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. Clearly, we are not justified by our works, but only by faith in Jesus Christ and his righteousness, the works that he did. 
but the power and perfection. When he died, he paid the price for our sin. He took out his checkbook. He wrote the check. He gave it to the person that is in debt to or that I was in debt to. And my sins were forgiven. But the power and perfection after that was because of his resurrection. Because he rose again. He just didn't go to the bank and pay a bill and say, John, John. He rose again. And we have his word. We have his examples and everything that he's been showing us. That our righteousness is not of our own. There's no works we can do. There's not enough laws we can follow. There's not enough prayers we can pray. There's not enough scripture we can read. There's not enough money or help or any of those other things that we place on people that we can do that will get us any closer to God or make us any more special to him. Where you sit right now, if you are a child of God, you are loved beyond anything that you can imagine and will never be loved more than Jesus Christ loves you right now. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. Father, I'm blown away with my human mind trying to grasp around how you could have such love for me, how you could make a way for me and even when it came about, we always hear people not well, the Jewish had this, the Jews had that. It doesn't get them anything more than what you have given me. And Father, that you had set the plan up, not only that your son would die for us and give us this righteousness and this justification, but you gave us the prophets and you gave us your word to show us how you were intentional. And everything that went on in Abraham's life and in Moses' life and in David's life and everything, how we can look back and say, you know what? I was just like that. And you love me too. Holy Spirit, I just thank you. And I praise you and I glorify you over and over and over again. I will praise you and still not be enough. For you are a mighty God. To you be the glory and honor. To you be the power. To you be the praise forever and ever, Lord. Now as we go out, Lord, bring these things to our remembrance. As we are in time with you, Lord, explain these things that we may not have grasped. And Father God, grow us in you. Complete us in you for your works that you have for us to do, Father. Not that we're not already complete in you, but we still have to work for you and with you, Lord. And I just give you all the glory. In your holy name we pray. Amen.